So I'm going to go, and I'll read. When I get to the yellow words, kids, can you read yellow? You can see yellow unless you can't see yellow. I'll read it. You guys come in on the yellow words, okay? For, creed, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. All right, there's a lot of yellow on the next one. Ready? You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So slide one, Paul says, stand firm. Stand firm. I, I think I'd like to, um, to illustrate this. I, I need a volunteer, and I'm going to call Eli because... Um, it was his birthday a few days ago, too. We had so many birthdays. Luke's birthday, Jacob's birthday, everyone. Eli, come on up. This is like a birthday present, except it's not really. All right, Eli, I want to know, can you stand firm? Can you? I guess. He said, I guess. Can I push you a little bit and see if you stand firm? All right. He's a good sport. All right, let's see if he can stand firm. Stand firm on two legs or on one leg? It's easier on two legs. There are two forces, and you'll need two legs to stand firm. Legalism, which is the idea that if I keep certain rules, I am more righteous in God's sight. You'll need one leg to stand firm against legalism. Hedonism, which says, hey, I'm forgiven. I can do whatever I want and sin, and, I, and Jesus doesn't care. You're going to need the other leg to stand firm against hedonism. Both of those forces are constantly at work in the Christian life. So Paul says, look, you're free. You're free in Jesus. Remember, you're freed from sin. You're freed from oppressive people. You're freed from a condemning conscience. You're freed from God's wrath. Remember, we went through all this last week. You're freed by the blood of Jesus. So Paul says, you got to stand firm in that freedom or you'll get knocked over. So there is an, a, a way you participate in your life. Now, what happens if you don't stand firm? Well, these three things happen. Christ will be of no advantage to you. We'll explain that in a second. Two, if you go into circumcision, which was an initiation, usually done tiny little boys, they snip off a little piece of skin, and that's circumcision. Something done to you. You're generally not conscious that it's happening. It only happened to the boys, and it expired essentially in terms of its requirements, and so the, the apostles never required it to be done. And they never forbid it because it wasn't wrong in and of itself. It became wrong when it became the thinking, oh, I'm going to be justified by keeping the law. So number one, right, go back, Christ is of no advantage to you, Paul says, if you think that way about the Lord. If you go for circumcision or if you think you're going to earn your way into the kingdom, well, Jesus is no advantage. Number two, if you take circumcision, you've got to keep the whole law. 
You don't get to cherry pick which parts you want. And number three, and this is the scary one, you're severed from Christ, you've fallen away from grace. He doesn't say you lost your salvation and you're going to hell, right? But they are on the path, kind of like the parable of the vineyard, right? Or the parable of the seeds where some seeds grow up and die down and never bear fruit. He says you're on the path of the wrong seed. You need to come back to grace. Paul was circumcised. He had Timothy circumcised later in life. The issue is this. The Galatians who thought they would be more righteous by doing this religious act, which God had given to Abraham, but now they wanted everyone in the church to do it, Gentiles alike. They said, you got to do this, and without it, you're not fully saved. And Paul said, if you teach and preach that in your church, you are going down the path of falling away from grace. Christ is truly of no advantage to you. How can he be an advantage to you? you? We don't need him, you're saying. We're going to be righteous by doing this instead. In our lives, this is pretty sneaky stuff. So you're here this morning, and that's good. But it doesn't make you more righteous. Does that make sense? It doesn't make you more holy in a justified sense of the word that you're here. Some, of, some Christians do, do their best sinning on Saturday night because they plan to go to church on Sunday and they figure they can just kind of get it right with God on Sunday morning. That's crazy, but who of us hasn't thought that way a little bit? Who of us haven't done the moral mental math, right? It's just sneaky, this idea that somehow I can add to the righteousness we're going to take communion here. It's going to be, it's, it's the meal Jesus gave us. But if you come here and you take communion and you think that you're doing something for God and God is looking down and giving you points on his eternal scoreboard in heaven, no, you've got it all wrong, right? The, anything we do that we think we're doing it for God in terms of this act of performing and being more righteous and being made holy misses the whole point. This meal is a gift to us. When you take this meal, it's meant to strengthen you. It's God's grace. It's Jesus Christ reminding you, I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So come with gratitude and thankfulness. Some churches in America, there's a faddishness. If you do the latest fads, whatever it is, or, you know, maybe it's you sing all the newest songs, or some churches will go the other way. If you sing only the oldest songs, right, and you reject everything, you know, they start to think they're more righteous because of that. This stuff is sneaky. It kind of drills into our heads, and you got to stand firm, Paul said, right? you got to stand firm in your freedom as a child of God. So what counts? If religious practices done for show don't count, I'll just say it, if meeting eat on Friday doesn't count, <laughs> right? If getting circumcised, which God actually commanded in the Bible for the Jews, doesn't count toward righteousness. Does earning lots of money count? Is that what our life is for, to earn lots of money? Does that count before God? Is that like, yep, that's why you're here? Is it like the game of life you finish with the most? Does getting an A in math count before God? What about a B? Does that count? <laughs> right? What about if you fight for justice but you reject God's existence? Does that count for God? 
Does that matter? Does that mean anything? Does that have, here's the word, any real spiritual value? Does it please the Father? No. None of those things count. They might count for some people. Your math teacher will be happy. She'll be glad, or he'll be glad you did well in math. Your boss will be happy when you do certain things at work. But what if the wall that we do has actual spiritual value? How do we know if something counts? Let's look at five and six. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So Paul's saying, look, the Spirit, what every Christian has, through the Spirit, by faith in Jesus, we're going to wait with hope for the return of Christ, for it to be living in righteousness forever. Well, what do we do as we're waiting? What's worth our time? For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. All right, kids, ready to read the yellow? But only faith working through love. That's what counts. The word counts is a really broad word in Greek. It can mean have strength, have power, have force. They would say a will only counts when someone dies, right? It only goes into effect, has value. Paul picked a really broad word, I think, on purpose. He was trying to throw a really big net, and he was telling the Galatian church, do you want to know what counts? It's not circumcision. It's not uncircumcision. It's your faith in Jesus Christ expressing itself in sacrificial, patient love for other people. He's saying that's what counts. That syncs up with 1 Corinthians 13, doesn't it? Where Paul says you can do all these things, but if you don't have love, they don't mean anything. Faith is essential because it says here in Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that God exists. Right? Some people might say, well, if I just do good... Does it matter if God exists? Doesn't that count, Pastor Dorfler? And the Bible says no. That's like trying to do, like trying to care for your spouse. Walking around your house, let's say you're married, and you spend the whole time living as if your spouse doesn't exist. You might make breakfast, and they might pick off the plate, and you might do these things, but won't they simply be offended by you if you walk past them back and forth as if they're not even there? Right? That's where Hebrews is going. You can't please God and reject God's existence at the same time. So faith is essential to living a life that actually pleases the Father. And I love this here. It says, right, without faith it's impossible to please him, but the contrary is true also. With faith it is possible to please God. Look at how Westminster Standards puts it. It says about our good works, where it says God sees us in Christ and it says he's pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, even though accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections. That's good, isn't it? That gives me hope and it humbles me. God accepts that which is sincere, even when it's accompanied by all of our mixed motives. With faith, it is possible to please God when that faith is expressing itself in love. 
Here's the closing thought here, and then we're going to move into communion. Back in the olden days of the temple, God wanted them to kill and cook lots of food, to make sacrifices of lambs and rams, to show them that the wages of sin is death. But it said something, too. It said that there was, after burning of the, the, the cakes or the meat, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If you read through Numbers, you'll see that phrase describing around the sacrifices, that these sacrifices were a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now, tie that with this, right? This is Paul in Romans 12. He says, you know, having been transformed and justified, present your bodies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. You're the pleasing aroma when it's your faith expressing itself in love. You're the sacrifice poured out. That's what values most in life. Of all the things you do, and we do lots of things, that is what pleases the Lord. Your faith in Him expressing itself in love, in love for Him and in love for others. That's what counts. Isn't that good to know? You know what counts before God. Your life laid out is a pleasing aroma to the Father. It doesn't add to your righteousness. If I could put it in kid terms, it simply makes the Father smile. He says, all right, those are my children. Looking, they're believing in me, and they're expressing their faith and love for other people. It would be sad, wouldn't it, after you die, to stand before the Lord and to discover that so much of your time was wasted on things that didn't count. Wouldn't that be sad to stand before your Savior and realize you spent so many hours and years of your life not in faith expressing in love, but in your own ambitions. And you'll see the kingdom prepared for you, and you'll realize how paltry and small your ambitions were compared to all that God's prepared for you. We don't want to live lives of regret. Christ has given you work. Do it well with faith expressing itself in love for your coworkers. Some of you teach your kids, you teach them at home, you teach them along the way. Do it with faith expressing itself in love for your children. They're there to increase your patience and your endurance. Some of you have people in your life who are so hard to love. Your situations are very difficult. Christ has given you tests and opportunities to be faithful to him in the trial, even as you love your enemies. All of this life is an opportunity to have faith expressing itself in love. And so my encouragement to you is this. As you go through this week, just ask yourself the question, am I doing what counts?